This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. This is Ari Mizell. Today I'm going to be interviewing Dan Markovitz of Time Back Management. I've been doing a lot of interviews lately with wellness-related people, which I obviously really love, but I, I can't neglect the personal productivity aspect of my focus because they are tied together and I, I, I try to sort of divide my attention evenly between the two, even though they get intertwined quite a bit. But uh, Dan is a efficiency expert and like me he is not into to-do lists so i was really psyched to talk to him so you'll definitely enjoy that interview i'm if you're not a pro member you should definitely sign up and you do that by going to lessdoing.com and clicking on the pro uh, button at the top of the page or clicking on any, any of the pro posts that come out now with the pro stuff it's ten dollars a month and i put out at least two posts per month that are always video. So there's a little something extra there. You're, you're going to get to see some really inside techniques. I share some semi-private tactics that I use to get things done on a better and more efficient basis. But uh, sometimes I have discounts from partners that uh, I mention in the podcast or on the website. So uh, the value is there. I highly recommend you try it out and, and, and have a look at all the great stuff that I'm putting out. Uh, the next one that I'm going to be doing, I think, is going to be about how to podcast as a busy person. When I first started doing the podcast, I was doing one every month or two if I was lucky. And now I think this next couple of weeks, I've got five coming out, which is shocking even to me. So to do that required a lot of automation and virtual assistants and, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm going to put that all into a short but sweet screencast on how to podcast because... Everybody's got something to say, and podcasting is a great way to do it. So with that, uh, I would say uh, check out the interview. Bye. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Dan Markovitz, who is the founder and owner of Time Back Management. Uh, Dan, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, pleasure's mine, Ari. Thanks very much for having me. So first of all, just to tell everyone, what is Time Back Management? What, what is that all about? Uh, Time Back is a consultancy that specializes in improving organizational performance uh, by improving business processes. Uh, my roots come actually from uh, corporate time management coaching and consulting, um, and I've expanded that. That with that as a foundation, the focus on the individual, I've now expanded it to the processes in which individuals operate. So when we're talking about processes, because that's something that I talk about with my audience a lot, about improving your processes, and, and everybody has processes that they go through on a daily basis in their business and their lives, uh, what what kind of processes are you talking about? I look at processes that people work in. So let's say, for example, there's a uh, the process that a company uses to issue credit memos to customers or a warranty process or a sales process or product development process. Uh, from, as a friend of mine calls it, from mind to market. Someone thinks, hey, what about making a product like this? And how do you actually go through the design and development of it? Um, and the 
manufacturing and logistics and sales uh, all the way to sell through to the customer's hands. So all these are processes. Oftentimes they are written with the same kind of inefficiencies that individual work is written with. So, and that's, I mean, exactly the kind of thing that people that are, that are listening to this are interested in kind of improving. So what are some of your main techniques or tools that you like to use to, to make those processes more efficient? Are we talking about outsourcing? Are we talking about automating? Like what, what are the main things that you kind of focus on? Uh, not outsourcing for sure and not automating okay. because if you automate a broken process, all you have is a faster broken process. That doesn't make it any better. Uh, Absolutely. My background and my interest really is in the application of lean manufacturing principles to uh, non-manufacturing environments. And from my perspective, it all starts with, and by the way, for your listeners who don't know, lean is the, uh, really the production, it's the business philosophy and production methodology that was uh, pioneered and uh, developed by the Toyota, by Toyota, uh, which has enabled them to make cars of higher quality with, with uh, shorter development times than any other company in the world. Uh, there are also other companies that are employing lean and healthcare organizations and so on. But uh, this is something I'm really fascinated by. So uh, from my perspective, that improvement starts really with a thorough um, analysis of the, situa- uh, of the problem. So first identifying what the situation looks like. Now, awful lot of times, people make assumptions. They lead to conclusions about what the problem happens to be uh, without really understanding what's going on. And a perfect example of this, and this for example, this is a, also a good example of why automation doesn't do the trick, is a company that I've been working with recently that actually is having problems with their credit memo issuance process. A customer will call them up, a retailer will call them up because they sell to retailers. And the retailer will say, well, you know, you short shipped us so there were defective products. We want a, a credit Okay, no problem. It takes the company somewhere between four days and 21 days or 25 days to issue a credit memo, which is crazy. The head of the um, of the customer service department says that uh, he wanted to develop an electronic form because right now the forms are literally paper. You know, it's sort of like the goldenrod copy goes to finance and the the teal copy goes to accounts receivable and the blue copy goes to customer service. Um, and they're probably using pneumatic tubes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's like the Hudsucker proxy. So he said, you know, if we had an electronic form where the customer service guy who gets the phone call can just type it in and send it to me, that would take care of it. And as we analyzed the process, and I, which meant me watching it, it turns out that these forms were filled out on a pretty timely fashion by the customer service reps. And then it would sit on the desk or the, in the inbox of the customer service manager for three days, four days, seven days, 12 days, however long it took them to get to it. So it didn't matter. And you know that if we had made the electronic form, it would have sat in his electronic inbox for three days or seven days or 12 days. It wouldn't have mattered at all. But he couldn't see it because he was so close to the process. So what we did was change the way they operated by saying, okay, every day there's going to be a 10-minute stand-up meeting in the customer service department and they're going to have a folder with all of the customer credit requests, and he's going to evaluate them and approve them right at that moment. So the longest turnaround possible turnaround time is 24 hours, and usually less than that. And using the same goldenrod, teal, and, and cornflower color forms, 
but now we've taken a low-tech solution. We haven't outsourced anything. We haven't used any technology. We've taken a low-tech solution and made it uh, improved service to customers. So that kind of approach is something that comes really straight out of the Toyota playbook. How can we fix something without hiring more people, without outsourcing, without buying technology? How can we make the process work better to reduce, uh, to improve quality, improve service, and reduce costs? Does that make sense? So I, that, that's a wonderful example, and I, I just want to point out something to everybody that the Toyota Lean uh, manufacturing processes are actually really, really widely applicable. Uh, there was an article in the Times about a month ago, I think, about how Toyota donated their efficiency services to a soup kitchen in Harlem where they took the average time to get a meal from 90 minutes down to 18 minutes using exactly the kind of principles that Dan is talking about. So I really like that idea of not adding in anything, not taking away really anything, really examining the actual connectivity of the process and, and changing that completely. So that's that's really, really cool. And uh, just to jump in, Ari, for a sec, for your listeners, uh, there's also a video about that. I don't remember the name of the food bank, but the article mentions the name of the food bank. If you Google that in Toyota, you'll see a, I don't know, it's like a five-minute video that shows how they think and how they operate. Oh, good. Yeah, thank you. Well, actually, we'll link to that in the show notes. Now, let's just switch gears a little bit because I'm really excited to talk to somebody who has similar views on to-do lists as I do. And anybody who has read my blog for even two seconds knows that I hate to-do lists because I think they are anti-productive. And uh, I believe that, Dan, you are not a fan of to-do lists either, right? I despise them. I think that they are just a recipe for feeling bad about yourself because all they do is glare at you with all the things that you haven't been able to accomplish Great. So, and that's exactly what I say. So now what, and, and my focus, just so you know, I, I focus on getting people to, to think about the timing of a task so that something is really, app, comes to you and is at the time that you can actually deal with it. And if it's not the right time to deal with it, then you defer it to the time that is right to deal with it. But that doesn't, you know, that works for a lot of people that I work with. What's your method of dealing with those sort of outstanding tasks and those projects? You and I are, I think, uh, we see the world exactly the same way. I believe that it's worth just it's something that needs to be done. That means you have to commit the time to do it. And the only way that I know of, or at least the best way I know of, to allocate time to something is to actually make a commitment in your calendar. The way I look at it is that we have the, the, res- the thing that we're selling and that your listeners are selling to any to a customer or to their employer is their time and attention. And that is the most valuable asset. It's also the most constrained there's only 24 hours in a day. That's assuming you could stay up for 24 hours. So what are you going to allocate that time and attention to? If it's something that's worth doing, it has to go on your calendar. Because if you can't make it visible, you have no you have no visibility into the opportunity cost of doing that or doing something else. Um, so if it needs to get done, it's got to be honored uh, with a visible commitment in your calendar. It's a very simplistic approach, um, but I think that the simplicity or the power lies in its simplicity. So the, the the pushback, I mean, I get different kinds of pushback, but one of the big pushbacks that I get on that kind of idea is what about big projects, you know? And I, and I love to tell people, I've seen, now I've seen this seven times on a client's to-do list. The item was write book. So... <laughs> That's obviously absurd 
and not a task. That's not even a goal, honestly. So I tell people, you know, you can break that. That's a simplistic example because you can say, look, my task is to write 100 words or my task is to write a page. But how, how do you sort of tell people to deal with those large projects that have a lot of moving parts and a lot of steps? You know, your um – I've spent a, spent a lot of time in the last few years working with physicians at, uh, at academic medical centers, and they have things on their to-do list like grant, fill out a grant application or write a paper. So same thing, write a book, right? Come do a research project. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just put that right on my to-do list and get to it. And, of course, it doesn't ever get done because you don't even know where to start. You don't know what to do. You have no sense of how long it will take. Um, and as a result, the urgent that crops up every 10 minutes preempts the important. In this case, publication is and grant funding is really what keeps these guys alive. So what I do, and I suspect it's the same thing that you do, is I say, okay, if you're going to, let's say, write a paper, what are you going to do first? Well, they say, well, I have to do a, uh, a PubMed search. A PubMed is the medical database. It's like the Google search. I say, okay, so you're going to do a PubMed, PubMed search, right? How long does that take to find the articles? And they say, oh, you know, probably for this topic about an hour. I say, great. So you've got a one-hour task there. And then what happens next? Well, after sort of read the articles and see what the literature says and see what experiments have been done in this area and what I can write about. I say, great. How long will that take? Well, it'll take three hours. I say, great. There's a task. And we go on through. Okay. Um, how long will it take you to sort of to, to do some of the writing? Uh, well, writing is really big. It's hard. Okay. Well, what sections are there? And then they say, well, there's a background section. I say, the background section, is that creative at all? They say, no, it's really just sort of grinding it out. You know, you mention these articles, you mention those articles, you make sure it's footnoted properly, and I can predict how long that takes. I say, terrific. And so we break down this massive thing of writing and publishing a paper into the into discrete components that can be measured more or less. Now, there's a huge unknown how long it takes to do the creative part of it, which is fine. So now you can just say, all right, here's this is the week or these are the two weeks or these are the three weeks that I want to spend some time really sinking into it. I don't know where my research is going to go. I don't know what my how my writing is going to go. I say, fine, you don't have to. So when what's, what blocks of time, what, what lengths of blocks of time do you need in order to write? Do you need, can you do it in half an hour? And they usually say, no, I need, you know, I really need to sink into it. Say so what two two and a half three hours and they say yeah you say okay well when can you get that and now they start looking at their calendar and saying well I can't do it this week I've got these meetings I've got this conference and you say well I can't do it till you know weekends I say great well then it's going to be a weekend thing or you can push it out to three weeks from now or four weeks from now and so they start to then just put in placeholders for thinking time or writing time or outlining time and by taking something that's massive and turning it into bite-sized, manageable tasks that have a fighting chance of moving forward. I mean, you're taking so many words out of my mouth, I can't even tell you. So it's it's very, honestly, it's really gratifying because a lot of times when people say, you know, when I tell people and they say, you want me to get rid of my to-do list? I get a look like I'm a leper, you know, but it's like, yes, it's making it so you can't do the things that you need to do. So, that's great, and I think that that's a really nice way of looking at it. Uh, just to sort of address this, because I know there's going to be people thinking this in their heads, is they're, they're going to be thinking about GTP. And I personally have a couple issues with GTP, and I think that what you're talking about and what I talk about is, is different in a lot of ways because 
yes, you can sit down and think about it. Yes, how long is this going to take? What's the next part? How long is this going to take? And I think that's great. The problem becomes when you start to force that, I think, and then it becomes like dehumanized and almost mechanical. And then it's, be- and then it's almost stressful, I feel like, because you're trying to create that next step when the logical one might not be there. Yeah, you know, I, I think, and now I'm taking a page out of the folks who work in, say, product development or research where you can clarify sort of the, the next steps, the next two steps or three steps or five steps, but you don't know where it's going to go after that. And to try to, um, to try to time block it or to box it in and say, okay, I'm going to spend two hours writing this section, I can totally see how that would be stressful. Because sitting here and trying to determine that in three and a half months you need two hours on Wednesday to write could be pretty stressful. So don't do it. Instead, worry about the first two or three or four steps that are utterly visible to you and really definable. And then in three weeks or a month or six weeks, you'll have more visibility into the next steps. So maybe you can't plan out every phase of a large, a large project today, but you can plan out the first three steps. And that at least gets you moving. And I think there's a lot to be said for momentum. If you started to move, um, you'll figure out what comes next. You don't have to see all the way to the finish line. And I think that in my experience, I expect in yours as well, you see people paralyzed, not in the middle of the project. You see them paralyzed at the start. They can't even get moving. So if it's too difficult to see far out, don't worry about it. I think about I, I think about uh, Bill Walsh, the former football coach for the San Francisco 49ers. He used to script the first, I think, 10 plays for his team. He didn't try to script the entire football game. You can't do that. You have to modify and change and adapt based on what the other team is doing. But the first 10 plays, he said, this is what we're going to do, regardless of what the other team throws at us, because this will, for, for whatever reasons, because he assumed with his best knowledge, he assumed that this was going to get him to where he needed to go. And if it wouldn't, he would at least have learned about how the other team was playing defense. And then he could make modifications. No point in trying to plot out or map out the uh, infinite permutations of uh, offensive strategy. Much, much, much better to say, this is what I'm going to do for my first 10 plays, and then I'll figure it out. So, and that's another really amazing way of looking at it. I agree. And I always say to people, progress begets progress. You just have to move that needle a little bit because even if you make the wrong decision, at least you're moving forward and you have a new decision to make, and maybe you'll get it right this uh-huh. time. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great way of looking at it. So uh, we're, we're just about out of time here. I, I, I'm I'm really am enjoying this conversation because it's just I, I feel like I'm, I'm – talking to someone who is totally on the same wavelength as me. What I like to do, uh, the last question I always ask people in these podcasts, and I'm really excited to hear your answers, is what are the top three personal, what are your top three personal productivity tips that make you more effective every day? And they don't have to necessarily be specifically about productivity. It could be about, you know, meditation or whatever you want. But what are those three things that make you more effective? Boy, that's a good question. My top three. I would say the first thing is um, is not looking at my email all the time. And you know, I'm my, few Clay. I, I'm, I'm human like the rest of us, and there are days where I just get immersed in my inbox and I look at it, emails as they come in. 
but my best days are ones where I'm not sucked into the vortex, into the black hole, where I choose what I'm going to work on and I do it. And then when I need a break, I'll go into now or something like that. So creating those islands of, of uh, undisturbed time is very, very important for my, for my uh, productivity. Uh, the next thing that is really helpful for me is, is exercise. You know, I, uh, I'm a runner and a swimmer, and I find that I feel much better and I'm much happier when I get exercise, usually in the morning. Uh, that's, that's very important to me. And, uh, and the third thing is, uh, this, I guess it's related to that. It's, it's really eating well. You know, I find that if I, if I eat, <laughs> eat like crap, I don't have the ability to focus. I've noticed a real direct correlation between those two things. Uh, my diet and my, and my, and my ability to focus on what it is I want to do. Uh, so those three things, and of course, if I don't have a decent diet, I, I, I tend to snack more and snacks lead to interruptions. You know, I'll have a little bite to eat here, whether it's healthier or not healthy, you know, what holds the stock and have a little bit of fruit. Well, since I'm having a little fruit, I'll read the newspaper and that's a 10 minute, that's a 10 minute interruption and there we go. I've just atomized my day. So this thing's really tied together to, to create, uh, create undisturbed blocks of time and that really is what's so key for me. Great. I, those are those are three perfect examples, and I, I I do like that you talked about those things because the the nine fundamentals of less doing is wellness, and I always say that no matter how technologically efficient somebody can become, or you know how perfect their processes might be, if you're not sleeping right and not eating right, or you're pissed off about something, you're just not going to be able to achieve the things you want. So, uh, those are wonderful examples. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Where, where can everybody go to find out more about you? Oh, thanks for asking. So my website is timebackmanagement. That's all one word, timebackmanagement.com. Uh, I blog once a week. I have a newsletter that goes out once a month. Uh, I tweet on occasion. And uh, I also have a book. My book is called A Factory of One. And uh, that's available uh, both in paper form and Kindle form. You can pick it up at Amazon, A Factory of One. Great. And we'll, we'll definitely we'll link to all those in the show notes as well. So, Dan, thanks again. And uh, good luck with everything. Ari, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast with Ari Mizell. For more ways to make everything in your life easier, head over to lessdoing.com and also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ari Mizell or Facebook at facebook.com slash lessdoing. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. It's greatly appreciated. You can learn the art of less doing, getting started with biohacking, and how to make Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistants your ultimate productivity toolbox at udemy.com slash less doing. Until next time, keep optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything you do.